Welcome to the Life Self Mastery Podcast, where we bring in entrepreneurs who have created online businesses and improved their lifestyles. Here's your host, Rohit Malhotra. Hi everyone, this is Rohit from Life Self Mastery, and I'm excited to have Paulina Marinova Pompliano, uh, who's the author of Hidden Genius, The Secret Ways of Thinking at uh, the, that powers the world's most successful people. She's also the founder of The Profile, a media organization that studies successful people and companies. Welcome to the show, Paulina. Hi, I'm so excited to be here. <laughs> awesome. So, um, so you know, you you have had an impressive career in journalism. Um, uh, what motivated you to, you know, pursue a career in, in, in media? Well, uh, so when I was little, uh, growing up in Bulgaria, there was one time of the day that I hated. And that was like 6 p.m., 6 or 7 p.m. And that was when the nightly news would come on. And I would either be with my grandparents a lot of times and um, and the news would come on and they'd be like, everybody be quiet. So I had to stay silent for a, an entire hour. And I was like, this is so stupid. And then right after that, um, it was uh, Baywatch at the time was very big in Bulgaria. So I'd have to be quiet for that too, because they would watch that. I was like, what? I hate all of this. So ironically, <laughs> it was really funny because what I wanted to do in that hour of silence was actually ask questions and then when I grew up, I kind of realized like, wait, you can ask questions to get information, aka that's journalism. Um, and I realized that when I was in high school and I discovered the school newspaper and I started working there that I was like, oh, my God, like this career gives you license to ask anybody and any authority and any authority figure questions that you're curious about. And I thought that was honestly perfect for me. Hmm, got interesting. And uh, uh, you, you also, you know, work with with Fortune. Um, how, how was the experience there? And you know, what what are some of your learnings? Uh, you know, speaking to, to some very successful people on there. Mm-hmm. So working at Fortune magazine was probably the best experience I've ever had in journalism. Um, I had worked at a media startup before that. And then before that, I had been at um, CNN and USA Today. So out of all the newsrooms that I had seen, Fortune was without you know, reservation. I can say that it was the best place I've ever worked. Um, the people were so intelligent, so curious, so good at their jobs. And that's where I really, really learned everything I know about writing, basically. Um, That's where I learned true storytelling, how to tell an accurate story, but also make it engaging for the reader, and also how to kind of approach these people that, like Melinda Gates, I interviewed Melinda Gates at Fortune, and it's like, how do you approach somebody like that with a certain level of professionalism and you only have 30 minutes with her, how can you make it like every second count? So um, some of the things I learned there, uh, honestly, two of the biggest that come to mind. One is precision is everything and you need to be precise with every single word that you write. So there's a lot of articles that I don't like that are written in flowery language and it takes forever to get to the point. It's like when you're writing something, it has to be short, concise and to the point, but you have to choose every word carefully. And the second thing that I learned is when I turned in my first draft for this um, article I wrote about the breakup of Kleiner Perkins, the venture capital firm, I had, you know, 
all these words in there that were like, everybody hated so-and-so, like nobody liked X, Y, and Z. And my editor was like, I can tell that uh, your thinking is sloppy because your writing is sloppy. He meant that I was using these absolute words because I was thinking in black and white terms. And he's like, that's not how the world works. There's nuance, there's context, there's detail. And you're not capturing that in the way that you're writing, which makes me think that you're thinking very sloppily when you're approaching these things. So it really, really taught me like precision, accuracy, and context are three of the most important things in journalism or any storytelling endeavor. Got it. And, um, you know, interestingly, you, you mentioned about context, you know, and and, and thinking clearly, uh, you know, uh, obviously, you know, the podcast, uh, I mean, you, you can talk a lot about, you know, writing well, but any any tips on, you know, uh, on how to write better? Do you, do you think uh, reading is more important to get your thinking uh, in, in better systems? So definitely. One time when I was talking to James Clear, who you've had on the podcast, he yeah. told me, he told me, my writing suffers when I'm not reading enough. So that means that because he's not putting enough ideas into his head, it's harder for him to write um, really well, really clearly. I think that for me, especially when I start writing, it feels kind of like I'm about to go on an adventure that I don't know where it will lead me. But in that process and in that adventure, it's like, okay, I don't know what I think until I, I start writing. So as I start writing, there's a lot of fluff and there's a lot of crap in there that over the editing process, I'm like, oh, wow. Like I didn't realize I thought about it that way. Then I take it out or I add something else in to add context to my thinking. And I, I do think it makes you a clearer writer because it forces you to see your ideas on paper. And once you see it, you're like, whoa, I don't, is that what I believe? And then you start asking yourself, why do I believe that? And who told me that that caused this belief? Um, and you start kind of questioning yourself, uh, which is good because then you can get to a more clear answer. And also I always tell people, if you want to improve your writing by 50% right now, go through your piece of writing and just highlight every single word that um, that is an absolute. So when you say everyone, um, no one, everything, nothing, all the time, never, those are those are words that are not, they just mean nothing. They're not true because it's never, unis nobody's ever united. It's always like there's certain things. It's many people. Some people believe this, but others believe that. And it kind of um, helps you think and nuance, which is very helpful for writing. Interesting. And, um, you know, with uh, Twitter and Substack, you know, their new platforms, would you advise beginners to, uh, you know, put out content on uh, on platforms like Substack as well as on Twitter? Or do you, would you advise them to, you know, start off with a blog and, and just keep writing every day? Yeah, it's so hard because I think the medium matters less than the content itself. You could start with just an email from Gmail that you send to your family and friends. And then as like, oh, wait, there are too many people in the subject line. Maybe I move on to Substack. I personally really, really like Substack because I'm an investor in the company, but not just that. I've been a user since its beginnings. So um, I like Substack because basically 
basically. <laughs> As a writer, I just want to write. I don't want to think about marketing. I don't want to think about growth. I don't want to think about like sponsorships, like nothing. What Substack does, it takes care of the technical aspect and also of um, the payment layer. So you have direct subscriptions. People can pay you instead of me building a website, hiring somebody to like make sure that payments get through all this stuff that I don't want to think about. They do. So whether I have Substack to do that or I hire somebody external, it, it probably evens out about how much uh, you pay them because Substack, ta Substack takes a percentage of everything that you earn. So it's like the medium is less important than the idea. And once the idea starts working, then the medium becomes really important. But for me, Substack makes the most sense right now. Mm, got it. Interesting. And, um, and you know, you, you, you left Fortune and you started uh, building profile. You know, why did, why did you want to, you know, go into the startup mode? Yeah. So at Fortune, I had been writing Term Sheet, which is Fortune's daily deal-making newsletter. And I was covering startups and private equity and venture capital and all this stuff. And then I realized like, wait a second, I'm writing about entrepreneurship, but it's kind of hypocritical in that I've never been an entrepreneur myself. I'm over here like analyzing these companies and criticizing, you know, these VCs. We're like, I have never done that personally. Um, but that was just one aspect to it. The second aspect was when you spend so much time talking to these people, you kind of start asking yourself, like, why not me? I had always seen myself as just a writer. I never thought that entrepreneurship was a path for me because throughout school, throughout everything, people had always told me, oh, you're in journalism, like you're going to make no money and all this stuff. And I that's complete BS. And I know that now because there's a different path. And um, you can be a writer and an entrepreneur and, you know, a business owner and a startup, founder, whatever, whatever you want. But to me, like I realized in 2020, I was like, I want to see what I can learn if I go out on my own and apply all these things that I've learned over the years um, and be both, be, be two things, be a writer and an entrepreneur. And let's, how, let's see how it works out. So I left in March of 2020. Today, I have an interesting stat for you to denote that the founder of Beautiful Lives increased the social media presence by 10x. They managed to publish consistently and effortlessly using a robust social media management tool called Social Pilot. Social Pilot is a cost-effective social media tool that helps businesses scale their social media marketing efforts. Use lifestylemastery.com slash social pilot to get a 14-day free trial. Quite interesting. And uh, you, uh, I mean, I, mean uh, I did mention, uh, you know, b before the call, like, uh, I loved some of your profiles on Dwayne Johnson and uh, Kobe Brand as well as Keanu Reeves. I've, I've, I've saved it and I keep, read it because I think Dwayne Johnson and Keanu Reeves are uh, some of the kindest people. But what, what what does it take to research about people? Uh, and you know what, what advice would you give to people who would want to get into journalism when it comes to researching about about these celebrities? Yeah, so it's interesting. I know a lot of reporters who when they're working on an article, they don't like reading anything else or watching anything else about the person they're writing about because they want they don't want to be um, clouded or they don't want to be affected by everything that's already been written just in case, you know, like they want to be strictly original, strictly what I notice in my observations. But I actually do the opposite. I read, watch, and listen to everything they've ever done because I think in that way, A, you can notice some of their mannerisms 
You can um, see what questions they enjoy answering and what questions they kind of like recoil at hearing. Um, those are interesting. And there's so many little clues. And most people ask the same questions. So if you get a chance to interview someone, you have the opportunity to pull questions that maybe they haven't been asked before. And therefore, they have to stop and think about it. Um, I think for me, especially like coming to the U.S. at a young age when I was in, when I was eight years old and I didn't speak the language and a lot of time was spent me just observing people um, and trying to figure out what they were talking about, how they were feeling, like what the context of the situation was. And I think that's really helped me just accidentally because it forced me to spend a lot of time in my head, but also become really, really good at... Um, internalizing those subtle things that many people wouldn't notice. Like I have a very good sense of when somebody gets uncomfortable or when somebody's like, Oh, this, this is my, like, I love talking about this. Um, so that's really helped me now. And I think like, if you're, if you want to get into journalism, you can, you, you don't have to ha even have a job. You can start today, like interview somebody in your family, which I recommend everybody does because, you know, our parents, grandparents won't be around forever. So if you conduct an interview, like a, a true, like with microphones and a camera and, you know, do it the right way, um, you'll learn so much about their life. You'll learn about yourself, like truly, am I just asking generic questions or am I asking like pointed, specific, precise questions that actually get me somewhere? Um, so I think that's a really good way to practice. But hmm, And, you know, how much uh, time do you, do you, do you, do you take to research about uh, about one person or one uh, you know celebrity? Days, <laughs> sometimes uh -huh. weeks. Um, I right now have a bank of four or five dossiers that I have already finished, so that allows me to take as much time as I need for other ones. Um, so, for example, tomorrow I'm publishing one on Judy Bloom, who's an author of children's books. That one took me a while, actually, because she she's done a lot of press. Um, I watch a lot of videos, uh, video interviews, podcast interviews that she's done, and I read some of her books. So, it like. It's just basically what you want to do is um, gain as much information about the person until you feel like you know their essence or you can explain what their differentiator is from anybody else, right? Um, so it takes me probably on average a week. Okay, okay, got it. And, um, and, and you, you know, you've written a lot about, about performers, but what makes winners, you know, different from others? Yeah, like the the top what separates the top, 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 like one percent. Yeah. Um, so I it's so interesting. I mean, there's so many different things that I learned from uh talking to people, but I do think that one of the biggest things is that the most successful people, the ones who have been successful for decades or have gone on to do many different things, are the ones who aren't afraid of reinvention and they know that even if they fail at something and fall flat on their face, they can always reinvent or they can learn a new skill. Or it's, it's the idea of like betting on yourself. They're like, I know I possess the skills, therefore nothing can stop me from reaching whatever my passion is and achieving that. Um, it's not, it's not, you know, material success. Like it's not wealth or um, like possessions or like how, 
bigger houses. Like that stuff I don't think makes somebody successful. I genuinely think it's like, how many times have you failed? What have you learned from that failure? And what have you done the next time to apply the learnings into whatever iteration you do next? Mm, got it. And are, are there any specific mental frameworks which uh, which he- help them, you know, change uh, the way they they look at life and and, and at world? Because sometimes when you have those setbacks and you grow a little older, you know, you uh, it's difficult to you know get back on your feet. But are there any mental frameworks that you have realized others have? Yeah. Um, so okay, let's see which one. One of my favorite ones is um, this idea that pain is transformational if channeled in the right way. Um, There's a chapter on mental toughness that I wrote, and I use several examples, one of them being David Goggins, who's an ultra athlete. Um, He, you know, came from very humble beginnings. And then he says he's built and not born. And he talks about the idea of voluntary suffering. Um, So he, he'll, he'll create, um, pain in his daily life on purpose so that he can get mentally strong. And one thing that he uses, um, that he he talks about is you go into this dark room and you look in the mirror and you face your real self. So to him, his real self was lazy, overweight, um, a liar, like that. that's who he saw when he looked in the mirror. And he was like, okay, so what are you going to do tomorrow to start um, becoming this other version of yourself that you want to be? And that requ- that that is painful. Like being in that dark room and actually facing all of the things that you don't like about yourself is really painful. But then another example is, um, for example, Courtney Dahl Walter, who's also, um, she runs really long distances, like over 100 miles. She is known to push through pain um, in terms of she's ran with like a bleeding head injury. She's hallucinated before all this stuff. And she still somehow finishes and not just finishes, but like wins the race. And she talks about this idea of like that she personifies pain and she knows that, oh, okay, I have this really long race. At some point in the middle, I'm going to come to the pain cave. And she visualizes pain as an actual place that she enters, but then also she's just as in control of when she leaves. So she's like, I just, I know it's temporary. I have to get through this in order to get to the other side. And then finally, I use the example of Anthony Ray Hinton, who, you know, it's not just ultra athletes that undergo pain, obviously. It's a lot of times you're forced into painful situations against your will. So Anthony Ray Hinton was a black man in the South, um, and he was wrongfully imprisoned for 30 years on death row for a crime he did not commit. So most people are like, oh my God, how do you not go crazy in that cell for 30 years by yourself? And his point is that basically you you visualize. He visualized having tea with the queen. He visualized winning Wimbledon. He read books were his escape. And so that really helped his mind just stay, stay there. Um, and so at the end of the chapter, I talk about how basically this dark room, whether it's Goggins's dark room, Courtney's pain cave, or Anthony Ray Hinton's actual prison cell, those are places of like metamorphosis. You go in one person, you 
face yourself and you face like the worst part of yourself, it's very painful. It's awful. It's horrible. But if you come out the other side and if you don't break in that room, you will completely transform. And I think that the most successful people on the planet have at some point faced themselves in some way like that, where they failed miserably and they're like, oh my God, how can I go on? And they emerged a better, like stronger version of themselves. Mailman is a email assistant that shields you from unimportant emails, minimizing interruptions, and making your days calmer and more productive. You can visit mailmanhq.com and use the code LSM, uh, which gives you the benefit of 15% off for the first year on the annual plan, uh, which already has 20% discounted compared to the monthly plan. So you can visit mailmanhq.com and use the code LSM. Got interesting. And you, you know, you talked about hidden genius. Uh, uh, you've been running the profile. Uh, you've done. Uh, you were very su- successful over there. What What made you, you know, write the book, Hidden Genius, and what was your entire process of, you know, writing it? it? I mean, it was crazy because I think if I had myself sought out to write a book, I would have never done it because I never thought I would write a book. I thought I was much more. When you're in journalism, you very much think of like, oh, I'm really good at short form <laughs> content, not long form, a book, book length uh, stuff. So. I was, uh, this was in the beginning of 2021 when I was writing the profile and I had written one uh, deep dive on Melanie Perkins, who's the founder of Canva and an editor at a publishing house in London um, reached out to me and was like, Hey, I really like your stuff. Like if your thoughts ever turn to writing a book, let us know. And I was like, my thoughts would never turn to writing a book, but I was like, I'm just curious about the process. So I got on a call with him and we talked. I just asked questions, honestly. I never thought about it for me, but just like in general, how does this work? And then he could tell that I was, he he could tell that I was interested, but he could tell like I didn't want to do it. So he was like, why don't you just, you know, write a paragraph about like, if you were ever to write a book, what would it be about and send it to us? And we can give you some feedback just for in the future, if you ever want to write a book. And I was like, sure. And then I sent him that. Then he was like, oh, we really like that. Can you send us a sample table of contents? I was like, sure, that takes 20 minutes. I did that. And then from there, it was like piece by piece. Um, I wrote it in very small time windows um, because I had a newborn at the time. So just 20 minutes here, 20 minutes there. And then it kind of slowly snowballed into a book. But, you know, like I didn't announce the book until it was available for pre-order because I genuinely did not think I would finish it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, interesting. And so, so, so the entire process took you uh, more than a year to write the book. And oh, actually, it took me three months. <laughs> oh, okay, okay. <laughs> but hold on, let me let me just clarify. It took me three months because a lot of it was already written. Like I, if you guys have ever read Psychology of Money by Morgan Housel, he yeah. he took many of his like most popular articles and compiled it into a book. I did something slightly different, but very similar in which I had already written so much that I was like, I've written about like hundreds of people, their stories I know so well, and I I want to group them by theme. So it was very easy for me to kind of like put the puzzle together, even though much of it was already written. Mm, okay. Got it. And, uh, uh, and you know you you've been running the profile. How do you track uh, feedback from readers? It's not only for writing articles, but like I, I do podcasts and YouTube. What advice would you give to me on how do you track 
uh, feedback from readers so that I can create better content? Yeah, that's a great question. And by the way, I just realized why you said a year because I said he reached out to me in 2021. It was actually beginning of 2022. <laughs> it wasn't. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sorry. I, I don't know what year it is anymore. <laughs> um so I think the way you keep track um, of reader feedback is I'm very much like there's a quantitative aspect to it and there's a qualitative aspect to it. The quantitative is important because it shows you a lot of times people tell you what they want, but they don't. it's not true because what they actually read is different. So I look at Google Analytics and I'm like, what are people actually reading? And so I pay close attention to that. Um, but then I also, every year, I send out um, a reader survey to my readers and I'm like, hey, can you just fill this out? It's like 10 questions and it's more qualitative feedback. What do you like? What do you not, not like? Uh, what would you like to see in the future? Things like that. So then in my mind, I'm like, okay, when I go through everything, I can kind of understand what they like and, and how I should steer my content. But I never, <clears throat> I never take it like at um, face value. I'm never like, oh my God, the, my most popular article on the profile is about relationships. I should only write about relationships. No, because you have to think about most people on the internet like relationship content. That's probably why it's the most popular. But the people who subscribe to the profile, that's not the promise of my newsletter. So you always have to kind of stay true to your promise to the readers and, and take things uh, in context. Hmm, got it. And, and can I... Uh, I mean, if if my content is about entrepreneurship, but can I can I talk about different things, or or is it like the eighty twenty principle, or should I be hundred percent just focused on you know, you know what my reader uh, wants to read? A hundred percent, you should experiment. And and I learned this from James Clear because he said I asked him why he named like why he started writing on jamesclear.com instead yeah, of yeah. like ha about habits. And he was like, because in the beginning, I didn't know what I wanted to write about. So he wrote about everything and he noticed that the habit content was really popular. So he started steering around that, but he would have never found out if he didn't just like write about an array of things. But also like if you write about entrepreneurship and also have other interests, entrepreneurship can always be a lens through which you see the world, but you can talk about anything, anything related to entrepreneurship. Even let's say relationships is a good example. What does that have to do with entrepreneurship? Well, maybe there's um, Esther Perel, who's a relationship like expert. She has built an amazing business advising couples and startup founders on how to better manage their communication and relationships and whatever. So there's an angle for everything. You just have to be very like smart about how you do it. Mm, got it. And um, you, you know, when it comes to consuming content, you know, I'm I'm constantly consuming content from from podcasts, and I'm, I'm I spend a lot of time on Instagram Reels and Twitter and all that. But how? What advice would you give if I want to co consume content which will help me, you know, write better or do better podcasts or you know, clear uh, thinking in a better way? Yeah, how to consume it in a better way? Yeah, I think um, this is the thing, like. I, I genuinely think having an array of different sources that you listen to or watch is the most beneficial. I talk about this idea of having a content diet. You can't just 100% of your diet be reality TV shows because you'll learn nothing. But if, if you listen to informational things, but then also leave some room for the serendipitous like 
random podcast you would never listen to to listen to that because some of my best ideas have come from a random conversation I overheard or something on a show I would have never watched. It's just sometimes like your brain works in the background. And when you expose it to a bunch of different podcasts or videos or whatever, it starts to make connections that wouldn't otherwise be there. So, I mean, maybe, maybe you should watch The Bachelor once in a while. You never know. (laughs) (laughs) Got it. And, uh, you you know, media uh, companies could have, uh, you know, very thin margins. Uh, And with, you know, Substack and other, you know, media companies coming over, you know, a lot of content being created, especially in the last couple of years. Where do you see the future for or, you know, big legacy companies like Fortune and Time, uh, do you think they're going to die out or is it going to be, you know, individual brands coming out and uh, how do you see that game? Yeah, so I don't think, so I hmm, I think that the top, top, like the biggest, um, the top 1% of media will stay and they'll continue to thrive, like the New York Times, et cetera. Um, I also think the super hyper local ones might be able to work, even though a lot of times um, they're replaced with like a paid newsletter that covers super local stuff. But, you know, it, it will continue to survive in some way. It's just the ones in the middle that's super hard to make work. Um, and I think you're seeing more and more reporters leave to start something independent uh, or they're joining forces with other reporters and they're starting uh, their own independent thing. But like the one thing that I noticed while at Fortune is that people trust people. So when I was sending that newsletter from my name at Fortune, people were like, oh, like I know Paulina, like I kind of know her biases. I kind of know like what she believes. I kind of know what she doesn't know, whatever. So because people knew that I was this imperfect human, it was in some weird way, easier for them to trust me than if it came from like this faceless institution that they're like, I don't know who's writing this. Why should I trust them? So I think like the future is going to be more decentralized, but also more based on personal human trust, if that makes sense. Yeah, yeah. No, absolutely. Interesting. And um, I quickly want, uh, want to do the top three. What's your favorite business book? Favorite business book. I don't know if this counts as a business book necessarily, but it's definitely about money. Uh, It's The Psychology of Money by Morgan Housel. I just am a huge fan of his and his writing. And also the way the book is written, it could be like, I could have zero interest in money and it will make me completely reframe my vision of the world. And again, it's, it's it's exactly what you were saying earlier. It's not an intuitive, it's not like a, here's how to budget book, but it's um, other topics seen through the lens of money, which is so fascinating. Yeah, no, absolutely. I love that book. We'll put, we'll put that in show notes. And, you know, if you could go back in time uh, 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 when you started writing uh, Late in Genius, what is the one thing you would have focused on or done anything differently? Hmm. Great question. (laughs) Well, um, I think, I think I would have given myself more time, but again, like, I don't know if I would have finished. I I, I do really well with deadlines. So I'm like, if this is my deadline, I got to do it. So it's a forcing function. Um, but (laughs) honestly, no regrets. It got done like zero regrets. Okay. Current also, and and you have a favorite online tool, for example, Gmail, Slack, Zoom. 
Um, favorite tool, right? Yeah. I think my favorite tool right now, at least, is Notion. Uh, I just, I, I was a huge, I was like a Google Docs power user. Um, but everybody was like, Paulina, if you like Google Docs, just try Notion. And yeah. so, you know, I like the little icons. I don't think I use it properly. That's the sad part. It's super disorganized. And like, I'm sure there's a better way, but I just kind of like how it looks. Got it. We'll put that in the show notes. And, uh, you know, what is the best way people can reach out to you and know more about your new book, Hidden Genius? Yeah, you can uh, reach out to me at uh, paulina at readtheprofile.com or you can find the book at hiddengeniusbook.com. Got it. We'll put that in the show notes. Uh, Pauline, thank you so much for taking our time and speaking to us. I really enjoyed my conversation with you. Thank you so much. I loved it. It was a great conversation. Thanks for listening to the Life Self Mastery Podcast, where we teach you how to start and grow your online business. For more information, visit Rohit's blog at www.lifeselfmastery.com.